Good morning. I want to say welcome to all of you who are in the room, also those of you watching online on this beautiful November morning. As that inter- video just introduced, we're in this series that we started last week called Four, For Our World, For Our Community. We're talking this morning about being for our world. And I'm going to do it from probably the most, the best known passage, the most preached passage probably in all of the Bible, uh, in the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But this great passage, I would suggest to you, like other passages, really any passage in the Bible, is best understood in its context, right? In the whole context. And I would suggest to you this, that John 3.16, the verse I'm talking about, is a very bright light in an otherwise rather dark chapter that talks about spiritual blindness and willful rejection to the will of God. You know, the most important way, this is my, my, my sermon in a, in a, in a stent, sentence here, the most important way that we can be for the world, that is the people in the world that we live in, is to help them see the truth about God's love, right? To help them really see the truth about God's love. That's what I want to do this morning. The message is titled, For the World. If you have a copy of the Bible, John chapter 3, we'll look at a handful of verses, not the whole chapter, but the handful of the verses, John 3, 16 through 21. Follow along as I read these verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. First thing I think this passage says to us, and I want to suggest to you, is that God deeply loves your neighbors, right? God deeply loves your neighbors. And I'm using the word neighbors in the, in, the, in the broadest term, the way the Bible uses it. And there's other people around you. God deeply loves your neighbors. But let me ask you this question as I say this sentence, especially I'm talking to people in church on a Sunday morning. When you hear the term God loves the world, my guess is it, it gives one of two responses. One, maybe it warms your heart, right? God loves the world. Or at the very least, it certainly aligns with your thinking. You didn't, you, it doesn't throw you back like, wow, that doesn't sound right to me. It either warms your heart or at the very least, it aligns with the thinking that you had when you walked in this room. But I would suggest to you, back to context is so important, that that's not what was the case with the people who first heard this. This verse, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, I think in some ways was, was a very shocking statement to the people who first 
heard it, and maybe that's why the author even penned it this way, to sort of be provocative, to raise a question, to say something that most people would not have expected was true. I had a friend that um, texted me this week, just a couple days ago, and said, hey, you know, it's so-and-so's birthday, a mutual friend, you should text them, and I was so proudly said, well, I already did. I actually sent them a message. They're, they're a friend of mine on, uh, or the, you know, whatever you call it, Instagram. And I said, I already sent them a message on Instagram. And so this friend said to me, well, that's good. But just so you know, a DM, direct message on Instagram, is, is, not, is, is kind of impersonal. You know, if you really wanted to send a message, you need to text them. And I thought, well, that doesn't really makes sense to me. I said, you know, it was, it was directly sent. It's kind of a private message, those of you who have Instagram. And I said, to me, they seem equivalent. They said, she said, it's not equivalent. And then she went on to say, she goes, if I wanted to, I could direct message. And then she named this, this big celebrity that I know she despises. You know? She goes, if I wanted to, I could direct message this celebrity. And I said, having fun with her. I said, well, okay, why don't you do that? Right? I dare, you, you should just do that and send them a nice message. She immediately got back and said, not interested. Like, I would never, ever, ever send that person any kind of message. And in a sense, I would suggest to you that that's really the, the sentiment that's being brought here or the surprise that God would love the world because in the Bible, not only in this gospel, but really in much of the New Testament, the world, the same idea in this concept, as is talked about, is portrayed as morally evil, organized against God, and even the same author, that is the Apostle John, will say in a later letter to his congregation that they should never love the world and they should have nothing to do with it. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone uh, loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. It's pretty clear. If you're reading 365 with us, that is our Bible reading plan. I think it was yesterday or the day before. We read James chapter 4, who was Jesus' half-brother, right? The pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And James 4 said this, friendship with the world. Okay, pretty no-nonsense is enmity with God, okay? So for him to say this was absolutely supposed to be shocking. I would suggest to you this, that um, God's love is to be admired here, John three sixteen, Not because the world is so big and full of so many people, but because the world is so bad, morally speaking, in the Bible, and it's deserving of judgment. This is what John is trying to say. He's saying this statement, for God so loved the world, really, we'll get to it in a second, but it's in a context. Jesus is having this conversation with the most religious of men, a man named Nicodemus, this very famous conversation. And after this conversation is over in verse 16, John wants to do some, some commentary, some editorial commentary. He wants to say something that's meant to be provocative because even Nicodemus, the man that Jesus is having a conversation with is having a hard time understanding what Jesus is saying. And he says, listen, for God so loved the world, even the world that's morally bankrupt, even the world that's turned its back on God, even a world that people love darkness instead of light, God so loves this world, right? We, the, the value we place on something, here's the point, is seen, think about this, 
by what we're willing to give up for it. This is true in everyday transactions. The value we place on anything is seen by what we give up with it. I'm going to spend time with you, um, and, and I'm, I'm not going to spend time with what I normally do. I'm giving something up to, to show the value that I have for you. God gave up his son. God sacrificed his son to rescue a people from a world that had gone dark. That's what this passage is saying to us. The mission of the Son is grounded. This is what John 3.16 is really saying. It's grounded in the love of the Father. This is the motivation behind it. When it says God in verse 16, he's talking about God the Father. For God the Father, the creator of the universe, we talked about this in the last series, so loved the world, even though the world is, um, you know, turns its back on God, even though the world loves darkness rather than light, even though the world says, no, thank you, I'm gonna go my own way, for God so loved the world that he said to his son, I'm sending you on a mission. This is what the passage really paints if you read the verses carefully that we just read. A dark world, it's immorally dark. People of darkness rather than light. It's almost like the world was going down under and God said to the son, Put, put your, put your you know, scuba dive suit on. I want you to get ready. I'm sending you out of this world, out of this heaven. I'm sending you on a mission, a seal mission into a world that is drowning in its own corruption, drowning in its own darkness. People are going down and I'm sending you on a mission to get them. Okay, that's really what the passage is saying here. John Calvin, the uh, great reformer said these words. I want you to look at these words carefully because this is really the meaning of this passage, John three sixteen. The true looking of faith, this is you and me, is placing Christ before one's eyes and beholding in him the heart of God poured out in love. Now leave that up there. The true looking of faith, this is what I'm really calling all of us to do in a moment in this room, is, to, is placing Christ before one's eyes and beholding in him, what's the meaning of John 3, 16? The heart of God poured out in love. But of course, guys, when I say God deeply loves your neighbors, it has to begin with me and it has to begin with you. In other words, if you do not believe, don't raise your hand, raise it in your heart, if you do not believe that God deeply loves you, that what John Calvin just said is true of you, that in beholding in Christ, you see the love of the Father. You see that the mission of the Son is grounded in the love of the Father. Romans 5.8, that while I was yet a sinner... Okay, this is a Bible's cleaned up way of saying, while I said no thank you, I'm not interested. I have no interest in the things of God. I'm gonna go my own way. I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna be the captain of my own ship. I'm gonna run my own life. Stay out of my life. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Okay, that's what Romans 5, 8 says. Unless you truly see that, friend, in your own life today, okay, you're never going to be awakened to the, motive, to, to the reality that God loves, deeply loves your neighbors, okay? In this verse, this famous verse, the word believes is used, it's actually used in verse 15, I didn't read it, verse 16 and verse 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, watch it, that whoever believes in him, now you've heard that before, let me say this. 
that verb, it's used three times in three verses, is actually a present tense participle. What does that mean? Some of you know. A present, most participles have ing on the end, but really it would be, it would be kind of a wooden, it would be a clunky translation. But really what the verse says is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believing in him, okay, what he's trying to say is saying, listen, this idea of believing that God loves your, you, it's like breathing. It's an ongoing trust. And I would suggest this to you. If you don't find a reason to be amazed by God's love for you even a little bit, every single day then there's something really missing in your faith and that's the reason I would suggest to you that you or I don't really share the message of God's love with the people around us because uh, it's hard for me to believe that God deeply loves you I mean, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter whether or not you're a church-going person or you're, you're a moral person or a deeply immoral person, it's gonna be very hard for me to believe that God deeply loves you if I don't believe that God deeply loves me, okay? But this is what the Bible teaches. And that's why I think it's so important for us to see that this beautiful diamond, John 3, 16, is on a, is on a, is on a, 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 um, a piece of black velvet, right? It's, it's given to us in a world that is spiritually blind and organized against the things of God. God deeply loves your neighbors. Second point of this message, in this passage, the context, your neighbors, think about whether or not you believe this, are in deep trouble, okay? Your neighbors, no matter what kind of car they drive, no matter what kind of job they have, no matter how well-to-do they are or they are not, your neighbors are in deep trouble. What makes this promise, if you think about it, stand out, is that it's given, John three sixteen, to a world that's not only in spiritual darkness, verse 19, not my words, it's not only given to a world that's in spiritual darkness, but it's given to a world that is under God's wrath. Listen to these words. These are the last words of the third chapter. Whoever believes in the Son, it's a summary statement, whoever believes in the Son, wait for it, has eternal life. Okay? Not gonna get eternal life. Not gonna pick it up on your way out of this life. Not, it doesn't become yours the day you die. Anyone that has the Son has eternal life this is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus in the opening part of this chapter but whoever rejects the son it's a conscious decision your neighbors are in deep trouble the world is a morally dark place people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil therefore those who hate the light will not come it's a conscious volitional choice they, the wrath of God remains on them. You want to know why the world is such a mess? You want to know why I'm, I'm almost my, often I'm my own worst enemy? Why I seem to, you know, I seem to ruin my life more than other people ruin my life because the wrath of God is on the world already. It's already in spiritual darkness, right? We're already going down, you know, for the third time. That's what the Bible has to say, Okay. 
Think about this. What it's saying here is, John, this is why he says it in verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why would John say that if people didn't believe that? You see, John's trying to, as I said, this is a surprise verse. They're thinking God doesn't love the world. God's condemned the world. And he says, no, listen, friend. God loves the world. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why not? Because... It stands condemned already. That's what he's saying. That's the thing that we're missing, or his readers were missing. Now, what does that mean? You know, that God's wrath is on the world and it remains on people. It is not saying that we live in a world where it's some tit-for-tat punishment, that I do something wrong and God punishes me for what I've done. Sometimes people think this is what God does. This is what the world is, right? You step out of line, God's going to incur, God's going to slap your hand. You step out of line, God's going to zap you. God's going to exact some kind of punishment. Some people think this is who God is. That's what John's saying. Listen, that's not who God is at all. But God has set the, there's a moral order. God has sent the universe up such that, we talked about this in the Genesis series, that if you move out against God's law, you go against yourself, okay? This is what the Bible teaches. It's not God zapping you. God has set the world up. There's a moral order. He set it up such that when you go out and make a step against God's law, You hurt yourself. You know that famous verse in Galatians for uh, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he reaps. That doesn't mean that God's up there saying, I got you. No, it's saying, listen, God has set the world up such that if you go in this direction, you sow the wind, you're gonna reap the whirlwind. It's the nature of life, right? It's not God judging you. It's you and I bringing on our own. One preacher said this, You can get away with your sins, but you can't get away from them. That's what John 3 is saying. You can get away with your sins. God loves you. He's very gracious. But you can't get away from them. In God, his love and his wrath are not opposing characteristics. See, sometimes that's what we think. In my case, maybe that's the case because I'm not God. You're not God. But in God, his wrath against sin, John 3, 36, and his amazing love for the world, they're not opposing characteristics. His wrath, listen carefully, is an expression of his love, just like yours is when some disease ravages somebody that you love, right? When, when, some, when a disease ravages somebody you love, your son, your daughter, your wife, your mom, when that disease ravages them, what does that bring up in you? A sense of wrath, a sense of, of frust- a, a sense of wanting to do everything you can to attack that thing that is harming the person you love. That's what John 3.36 teaches, okay? God's great love wants to destroy sin in the world and to destroy the sin that's destroying my life and destroying yours. His wrath and his love go together, okay? And listen to, even religion, even religion, the best of religion does not help the problem, okay? This is why many people maybe give church a try, maybe you did that, 
or your friends did that for a season and then they say, it didn't make any difference in my life. I want you to think about this famous statement, John 3.16, context is king. If you have a copy of a Bible that has red letters in it, which if you don't, it's not, it's not um, significant. But if you do, the red letters are the first 15 verses. Verse 16 to the end, there's no red letters. What it's suggesting to us is this. The first 15 verses is Jesus having a conversation with this religious leader. His name is Nicodemus. And, 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 and Nicodemus, in a sense, is supposed to represent the very best of religion. He's seen, if you look at his, his introduction, I didn't read it, he's a man, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, he's, he's a Pharisee, he loves the Bible, he knows the Bible very well, Jesus mentions that, I think in the ninth or 10th verse, and Nicodemus not only knows the Bible, well, not only is he sort of a religious observant person, but he also comes to Jesus at night. He recognizes in Jesus that Jesus Christ is something beyond what you know some people see him as, just someone who's trying to be provocative and someone who's pushing the buttons of the Jewish leadership. He says, no, there's something real about Jesus and he comes to Jesus at night. So everything you know about Nicodemus, which is here in John chapter three, is seen as an exemplary figure. And what Jesus says to him, I'm paraphrasing, but you can read. He says, listen, Nicodemus, I wanna tell you about something. There is a different kind of way to live. And that kind of way has to do with um, being born from above. It's about a new heart, it's about the spirit of God in you. It's about a whole new life. And that life cannot be procured through anything that you do. You can't earn that new life. You can't live into that life. You can't sort of you know, cross your T's and dot your I's. There's nothing in the outside world. There's nothing you can do. Even your religious observance will not bring that life. And this is what happens to many people. They give their lives, like Nicodemus did, to religious observance. I'm going to work my way toward a better life. I'm gonna clean up the sin that's tearing me down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to run faster than the sin that's in my life. I'm gonna do it in a religious way. And here's what happens. Eventually, the rubber band snaps back and you find yourself no different than when you started. Sometimes you're even worse off because you've become self-righteous in all of that good work. And Jesus said, listen, that's not the way to a changed life. There's only one way. You need a new heart. And that heart is given by God's gift. And you open your life to it. And this is what Nicodemus says at the end of that conversation. If you're a note taker, verse nine, I didn't read it. But Jesus has this great conversation. Nicodemus says, how can this be? Verse nine. And you know what Jesus says to him? Are you Israel's teacher? And you don't know these things? It's a loving rebuke. Because when Jesus says the real way forward is a new heart, it's not a new way of life, it's not a religious system, it's a new heart, that's not something Jesus made up. It is in the Old Testament. Jeremiah the prophet said, the days are coming, verse Jeremiah 31, where God is going to give people a new heart. It's not gonna be like the one um, of stone that you have now. It's gonna be a new heart of flesh and he's going to bring about the forgiveness of sin. He's gonna send his spirit. Everything that Jesus is saying here in John 3 was said, but Nicodemus missed it. How can these things be? There's a guy who i known for probably the last 10 years and I would say this one man has probably had more influence in my life than perhaps any other single person 
um, in, in my growth and development in a, in a sense, in what he's done for me. But this man, as it turns out, is not a Christian. And we were having lunch recently, and, and we've two or three times over these years, we, when we've had just a casual time, he's, um, we've talked about faith, but this time he brought it up. And this is what he said to me. He said, you know, Rob, I just want you to know I really respect you and I respect your point of view. And he said, I'm intrigued by what you're saying. But there are certain things that I just can't see. There are certain things that just, I just don't get. Let me tell you something. When someone says that to you, as someone said it to me, I would suggest to you that that person is very close to having their eyes opened. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? And then John, when he wants to comment on them, he says, let me tell you how these things can be. Okay. God's love, watch this, and God's wrath, there's only one place that they meet. They meet and are satisfied in the cross. Okay? God's love, God so loved the world that's plunging its way down towards self-destruction and God's wrath against sin, against the disease of sin, they meet and are satisfied in the cross of Jesus. Only here can sin be punished and only here can the sinner be saved. That's what this passage, let me say this to you. For the people in this room, the people listening to me. What I said, how can we be for this world? We can be for this world by helping people see the true meaning of God's love. God's love is a, God so loved the world is the most provocative, most uncharacteristic, most amazing statement in the world. Because God loving the world is, is God going after someone's who want nothing to do with him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for him. But that's what he did. Okay? So if you've never truly understood that message, if you thought like Nicodemus, you know, what it means to be a Christian is God, you know, helps me up the ladder. God helps those who help themselves. You have completely and totally missed it. And if you would say, you know, Rob, I've never truly understood that the wrath of God and the love of God meet in the cross and it's only in the cross that sin is punished and it's only in the cross that the sinner is saved. I would invite you to open your life to that right now. Listen to these words. For God so loved the world, don't miss the verb, that he gave. It's a gift. You can't earn it, Nicodemus. It's a gift. And John, the same writer, will say this. First, uh, first chapter, verse 12. To as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons and the daughters of God. There's only one way to experience the love of God. And it's by opening your life and receiving it as a gift. So if you've never done that, right now, every head is bowed in this room. And if you are a Christian, just your eyes are closed. Just be quiet and be thoughtful in prayer. And if you're in this room or in your own living room, and you'd say, you know, I've never, I've heard these ideas before, but I've never come to a clear understanding of what it means to be a Christian. I've never opened my life and simply received the gift of God in Jesus Christ, his forgiveness, that he 
took a bullet for me on the cross and rose from the dead and offered me the gift of everlasting life. I want you to ask for it right now. You see, you can do that in a church service. Yes, you can. For with the mouth a confession is made, with the heart one believes unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's as simple as that if you believe it. So what I want you to do, just pray this prayer in your own words, your own heart in this moment. God, thank you. God the Father, thank you for sending your Son into the world, for giving up something that was so valuable to you that I might know the forgiveness of sin. I open my life to you. I believe in the gift of Jesus. And I thank you for forgiving all of my sin and for making me your son and your daughter. If you prayed that prayer, no one's looking but me, just raise your hand. Just put it up really quick in this room. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Many hands. Thank you. And at home, let us know on the chat. Raise a hand on the chat. Let us know you prayed this prayer this morning. God, I just thank you for these friends. I pray you would you would let them know in a way that is far beyond anything I could say or do that they have transferred from one, in a manner speaking, one life to another. For whoever believes in him has eternal life. May they know that in their heart of hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God deeply loves your neighbors. Your neighbors, my neighbors, are in deep trouble. Last thing I want to say, what's the challenge? Start telling your neighbors, whoever they are, about God's love. The new birth, listen carefully, I'm almost done. The new birth, which is really what this whole passage, right, John 3.16 is a commentary on the first 15 verses where Jesus explains what it really means to be a Christian. And the new birth has far-reaching implications for any church or person who's serious about wanting to see people come to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Why is that? Because the new birth tells us, it teaches us that becoming a Christian is always a miracle. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't inch your way to it. You don't, you don't you know, read articles into it. You don't sort of morally evolve into becoming a Christian. All of those ways will never get you there. Why is it so important? Jesus, even Nicodemus, why is he here? Why take one of the most exemplary people that you could find, right? And he even says, I don't get it. How can these things be? And Jesus says, listen, there's only one way. Every single person that's a Christian is a Christian because of a miracle. Why is that encouraging? Because here's what I think is true for me and maybe for you. There are people in my life, relatives, friends, neighbors, coaches, whoever they might be, who I've said to myself, I might never say it out loud, they'll never come to faith. They would never be interested. They're so far gone. They're so smart. Their life is so um, well uh, uh, organized. They would never be interested. I have already in my heart, for very good reasons, 
decided that there was no reason that they would ever be open to a faith relationship in Jesus because I've forgotten that there's only one baby. Every person that's a Christian is a Christian because of a miracle. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying, listen, although no one can come to faith unless God opens their eyes. Look at this one last verse. Listen carefully to these words. John, same Jesus, same gospel. John 9, 39. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world. Now watch this carefully. So that the blind will see. See, this is the real problem. Nicodemus was spiritually blind. The whole world is spiritually blind. So that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Now what is he saying there? He's not saying, obviously he's not talking about physical blindness. Who are those who can see? They're those who claim they can see, right? And those who claim that they can see, like Nicodemus in this example, they're actually blind. For judgment I have come into this world. What does that mean? Because it said God did not send his son to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to judge the world. Listen carefully, guys. He came to be judged, right? On the cross, the wrath of God and the love of God, they come together. Only here is sin is punished. Only here can the sinner be saved. I came into the world. This is the message of John 3, 16, the message of the Bible, to be judged for sin. And it's only when you see that that your eyes are open. And then you can see not only how much God loves you, but you can see how much God loves the people around you, no matter how backward they are, no matter how uninterested they are, no matter how uh, rich or intellectual or well-off, whatever the excuse is that I make, he or she will never be interested. Listen, it's a form of blindness. God deeply, deeply loves your neighbors. He deeply loves you. But your neighbors and my neighbors, they're in deep trouble, guys. And it's unloving, unloving not to warn them. I'm not so sure, I've said this before, that the, in the coronavirus, who, what is God doing in the coronavirus? I have no idea. But is he involved? I think so. He's the sovereign of the universe. Not a hair falls from your head and he doesn't know about it. You think he doesn't know about the coronavirus? What is God doing in the coronavirus? I don't know, but here's what I think. I think he's, he's, he's bringing, putting the brakes on the whole world and on a lot of things that we take for granted and a lot of things that we think is the true meaning of life and saying, listen, this is not what it is. And we're living in a world right now where people are panicked, especially people who don't know Jesus as their savior. And some of them are realizing they're in trouble. But the message of this passage is God deeply, deeply loves them, right? He deeply loves them. And he's saying to you and saying to me, listen, every Christian, every person that comes a Christian is a miracle. I can't do that. But I can do my part in helping to share my life, to share this message so that other people might say, Hmm, you know what, Rob? I don't see everything you see, but I'm intrigued by what you say. Amen? Let me see this last statement put up here. This is for you to think about, for us to think about, okay? Our lives, 
and our ministries, or our, our lives and our ministries, aligned with God's love for the people around us? This is the question I want us to walk out of here today. Me, not only my life, but my, this, our church. Are our lives and our ministries aligned with God's love for the people around us, or are they aligned around some other objective? Maybe this is a time for a course correction. Only God can save, but I want to realign my life. I want to realign this church in every way it needs it to be in harmony with God's love for people in a dark world. Let's pray. God, thank you for this, this day. I thank you for, Lord, the opportunity just to be in this room. We're grateful. Uh, and in rooms across this town to hear your word. And Lord, I pray we would take it to heart, every one of us today. We'd think really hard about this message. We'd think hard about um, this passage, about what it really means first to be on the receiving end of an amazing, um, no holes barred love that you have sent into our lives in the person and mission of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, if there's any, wherever any of us are this morning, wherever we've been blind to the love of God, wherever we've been indifferent to the love of God, wherever we've given up on the love of God, open our hearts today, open our eyes today, that we might see your love for us first and then for our neighbors in a way that we didn't see it. And help us, God, to see that with you, we can be your servants. We can be your messengers to help other people see God's love. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.